0: So glad that you're here. Um, this is the second in a series of social media and how it affects our relationships. And so I am Katie Carroll. If I haven't met you, I work with the junior high youth here. And so this is this is different for us to be teaching adults. We normally ask a ton of questions to keep people engaged. So if we ask a question, it's it's really not rhetorical. You can talk back because we're used to yeah we're we're trying to keep people engaged, and it's just our natural mode of action so we'll see um so yeah welcome
1: and I'm Mary Beth Cunningham I'm one of the senior high youth directors here so I work mainly with the senior high girls but we're so glad you're here
0: yeah so last week Palmer Kennedy taught on social media and how we use social media to put forward a perfect image and how it kind of pours into those temptations so that's online if you want to look it up and then this week we're going to be looking at exclusion so what social media does to increase or kind of change the the feeling of being excluded or included in social relationships. So um, let me pray for us before we get started, and then we'll dive in. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for bringing us all here this morning. I'm um, just thankful for every person that you brought here. Thank you for your presence among us. And um, we just thank you and praise you that you are in control of all things, and that you're never surprised or shocked or um, overwhelmed by things that happen, that you have all things in your hands, including everything that we're going to talk about this morning. And so I pray today that you would leave us with a word of hope. I pray that we would all leave here reminded and touched by our identity in you, Lord Christ, and that that would be the lasting word. And so we do just pray for um, only the good words to stick and uh, for your help and presence among us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So what we're going to kind of do this morning is I'm going to show a quick video clip to kind of get us in the right mindset. And then we're going to look at exclusion, both then, uh, what it looks like in the past, and how social media has kind of changed that game. So then and now. And then we're going to kind of dive deeper and we're going to look at the heart level. So what's going on in our desires and what we're feeling at the heart level when we're feeling excluded and where does the good news of Jesus Christ meet us there and where does it have relevance there? So that's kind of how we're going to go. And then at the end, hopefully we'll have time for some questions. Um, yeah, not that we have all the answers, but hope, hope that we do have some time. So this is a clip from my big fat Greek wedding. Has anyone seen this? I hope so. I think it's wonderful, Um, really hilarious. I don't remember when it came out, but the basic premise is there's this woman named Tula, and she is from a Greek-American family, and she's growing up in kind of suburban America, and she often feels excluded because she is Greek, because she has a different life experience and a different family experience than a lot of her classmates. So this is just a brief clip right at the very beginning um opening credits you'll see and it's very short but it perfectly summarizes what it feels like to be left out as a kid just to kind of give us that feeling so that we can start at that foundation as we start to talk about everything else so enjoy this strip from my big fat Creek wedding i gonna turn the volume down over here you can double
1: You better get married soon. You're you to
0: own My dad's been saying that to me since I was 15. Because nice, week girls are supposed to do three things in life. Marry Greek boys, make Greek babies, and feed everyone until the day we die. growing up I knew I was different. The other girls were blonde and delicate, and I was a swarthy six-year-old with sideburns. I so badly wanted to be like the popular girls, all sitting together, talking, eating their wonder bread sandwiches.
1: What's that? It's Mooseaka. Moose Kaka? <laughs>
0: And while the pretty girls got to go to Brownie's, I had
1: to go
0: to
1: Greek school. So we're holding on to that feeling, that exclusion, that no place to sit at the lunch table, um, just don't belong kind of feeling. And so to start, we're kind of look at exclusion then versus now. So what it kind of looks like for us as far as, I feel like we've all had that moment where we just like don't belong or we were left out. Whether it's when you're younger and no place to sit at the lunch table or no one to play with on the playground, being told it's a two person game. Um, even not having like a date to homecoming or not being invited to the party, all those things, that's nothing new that our kids are facing right now. The difference, however, is how maybe we found out on a Monday morning when we got back because there were whispers, our kids really know like in real time i'm missing out they have this constantly present social media which has made basically inescapable for them to know kind of what's going on Um, they're able to see exactly what they're missing out on too so not just knowing hey i wasn't invited in real time at the moment they're looking at snapchat stories or instagram stories and they can view exactly the fun that their friends are having without them Um, and so it just almost makes the sting. That much worse, and it creates this idea of that's the life I should be living, or these are the friends I should have, or I should be invited. Um, and it's, I think <coughs> it's just hard because they, they do always know when they're left out. But the other side of that is bullying. So maybe if you were picked on at school, or if you, like, school was not really a safe or a fun place for you, it's somewhere you dread going. Um, at least for most of us, home was sometimes that alternative to at least that was a safe place where I escaped those kids, I didn't have to deal with that. Now social media has this platform where people comment on their pictures making fun of them or they post other pictures of other people, they screenshot Instagram, screenshot Facebook, and so it's something they still can't escape. Um, and the first kind of time I got a glimpse of this as like, and we were talking about Katie and I were like, as a parent, it's hard. We we love your kids and we spend a lot of time with them. But as a parent, when they hurt, I know you hurt too. And the first time I really got a glimpse of this was last year. I was working with senior and junior girls was leading a Bible study. And one of my girls, um, there were six of these girls, and they were very close since middle school. And, um, she had a really great relationship, really sweet friendship. They had a group message with all of them in it. I think they called themselves like the Six Chicks. But one of the girls got diagnosed with diabetes the summer before her senior year. So at 17, her life is flipped, I mean, upside down. Um, and she's kind of dealing with, you know, the insulin shots, um, what do I eat, and they're just, I mean, a total life change. And her friends at first were, really very supportive. Um, they were very kind of with her um, when they went out to eat, helping her make those decisions. But as come, time kind of went on, I started would get together her, with her almost you know every week or so. And there was one day that they were all, her house was kind of the house they went to study. And they were all studying together. There was um, I think four of the girls there, so two that weren't there. And all of a sudden, three of her friends, their phones all go off at the same time. And she's kind of like, Hmm, and she catches a glimpse, and it's basically a group message with all of her friends except her. So they had started this new group message, but without her, but they were still friends with her. I mean, they still wanted her to help them study. They still hung out with her when it was convenient for them, but on the weekends, on Friday nights, she wasn't getting the call. And so, slowly but surely, every week, this was the same pattern. It was, I'm getting Snapchats of all my friends together saying, wish you were here when really she could be, or just look at the fun we're having, and she wasn't there. Um, this group message would continue, She'd see pictures on the Instagram of all her friends together, and she wasn't there. And so I just remember that hurt and kind of what that feels like. And knowing that, like, she would come to me and tell me these things, but I couldn't fix it for her. You know, I didn't know why it was happening. It was out of my control. And so I understand that feeling of, I don't know what to do, or how do I help? How do I stop this hurt?
0: Um, sorry, bear with us. Switching back on this mic. Um, so that made me think of uh, another fact, that we just have... So much information in front of us, which she already talked about, but the sheer quantity of people that we can see what they're doing and what they're up to. And so I ran into this article a few years after college. I'd already moved twice. So I kind of collected people in every place that I'd lived. And I was drowning, trying to keep up with all of these people that normally might have faded away. But because of social media, oh, they were all still front and center. They were all still present. And there's not really a socially acceptable way to, you know, drop a friendship. It's just kind of hopefully it's mutual and it fades away. But so here I was after college drowning, and I read this article that talked about Dunbar's number, which was um, come up with by an Oxford University anthropologist and psychologist. And it's basically how many social relationships can we maintain on a cognitive level Realistically, like how how many can we actually keep up with? So, does anybody have any guesses what you think the number, or you might have heard, but five? Okay. Other guesses. Two. Two. Okay. anybody else? Okay. So his number that he quoted was actually 150, and so obviously that's not super super close, but you know, real close. Um, But (laughs) 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 are we all but um and there's a range there from 100 to 200 and that's stable so not super intimate close relationships obviously that would be closer to um, a very small number but uh so 100 to 200 people and contrast that with we did a quick survey just looking through instagram of some of the students in our youth group and we found that a lot of them have anywhere from 600 to 1,000 1,500, 2,000 followers on Instagram. That is information from a lot of people. That's a lot of who did what at the track meet. That's a lot of whose best friend is having a birthday party. A lot of um, who went to what fantastic family vacation that you normally just wouldn't be aware of and that we cognitively cannot handle and process all that information. And clearly, if you ask our students, they would not be trying to keep up with these people. They're not actually trying to have stable relationships with all a 1,000 followers, of course, but they're still being bombarded by all of that information. And that's just a shocking amount of stimulus and so the comparison game is just ratcheted up because you're all of a sudden able to compare yourself to so many more people and I know that y'all feel this too I feel it I know things about my high school my fellow high school class that I would have never known like I know their kids first names I know like what their kitchen looks like it's really bizarre what I know that I normally would have been blissfully unaware of and so it's very hard to not compare Um, So, I just wanted to point that out as a change. So, now we're going to transition a little bit into what's going on at a heart level underneath this feeling of being excluded. So, we're bombarded with all this information, and it made me think of basically when we are crushed by being excluded socially, what we're actually doing is we're valuing our connections in the world more highly than we're valuing our connection with god the creator of the universe and this made me think of um a psalm psalm 73 where the writer is extremely honest and i've always really valued it because he is doubting is it really worthwhile for me to be connected with god is this connection with god really worth it because i'm looking around at these people who don't follow god and they seem pretty healthy they seem pretty well connected rich happy they seem great meanwhile i'm really struggling and so you can see his, he's just questioning, is this connection with God worth it? And I think we all do that in so many scenarios in our life over and over again throughout our life. So I want us to just look at Psalm 73 really quickly because I think it's really worth the time. So I've got it up on a slide in case you don't have it in front of you. Um, so let me just read from Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness, their hearts overflow with follies, they scoff and speak with malice, loftily they threaten opposition. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them, and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches, all in vain have I kept my heart clean, and washed my hands in innocence, For all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So you hear that, you hear him talking about their, just how well off they are, increasing in riches. And he questions, is it in vain that I've kept my heart clean? And I'm sure, you know, if you're a parent in this room, you felt that, you know, wrestling with your kids with boundaries and social media, is it worth it? Is this I'm I'm setting up all these boundaries and having fights that feel like World War War three. And you just wonder, are those kids happier? The other kids whose parents have no rules, is this better for them? And um, what we see is that there's a huge transition and a good answer to that question. So starting in verse 16, it says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned therein. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, so this is very extreme, but (laughs) like a dream when one awakes, oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms, when my soul was embittered, I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant, I was a beast towards you, nevertheless I am continually with you, you hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So he has this turning point when he goes into the sanctuary and when he worships the Lord, and he remembers that there's all of these pictures of reality being posed by the world, but the one true reality is God and that he's the ultimate one that's going to fulfill. And it leads him to this place where just such an extreme contrast in verse 25, he's saying, whom have I in heaven, but you, what other relationships ultimately matter besides God, what can be of more value. And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Um, and talking about God being our portion. So, Truly, this is um, an extreme contrast, and he realizes that our relationship with God is more valuable than any other connections we could have here on this earth, and that made me think of some parables that we're not going to look at this morning for the sake of time, but the parable of hidden treasure where, um, and the, the parable of the pearl of great price, where the main character basically is willing to sell and get rid of everything else so that they can have the connection with God they see that the hidden treasure that's buried in this one random field is worth anything else that they could have any other number of properties fields cattle Um, so realizing that our connection with God is of utmost value the creator and sustainer of this universe and um, so just remembering that sometimes when we're crushed by our exclusion it's because we're feeling like people are big and God is small Everything that people think of us is huge in our minds. And that relationship with God has just disappeared from the radar. And it's not informing what we're thinking or feeling in that moment. So uh, you can join me in prayer that we will and all of our students will be able to value and see what the worth of our our relationship with God is. And that that would be worth more than anything else that we could possibly have. Um, and then just one other note about... um With that connection with God, we also have the promise that he's in control. Uh, So this is one of my favorite verses from Psalm 138. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Great thing to pray um, for yourself and for your kids. But our God doesn't fail. So if we have that connection with him, then we can trust that he's in control and he's got this. So that's our first little heart connection point. And then Mary Beth's going to take us on from there so we
1: also see that sometimes outside of christ we have these two responses as to when we feel rejected what kind of happens and the first one we're going to talk about is feeling kind of overwhelmingly rejected or unworthy so when we're not invited to something or we feel excluded our child's not invited what they're really feeling other than just left out or sad that they're not there which they do they feel sad they're really wondering like What's wrong with me? Or, you know, have I done something wrong? They feel very unworthy. Like, why am I not worthy of these friendships? Why are these people not including me? Um, They're lonely. There's this this other heart level going on. And so sometimes we see them react, or we even react, in two different ways. So they'll talk to friends. They'll open up. um, Like my sweet senior, she'll she'll talk to me and let me know, hey, this hurts. Um, This is leaving me feeling very worthless, very unworthy, unsure why this is going on. Um, but then also we'll see them react to that hurt with maybe cold shoulders to their friends, so they won't actually talk through what they're feeling, but they'll maybe drama in the friend group, or there might be some self-pity or even just some anger. I've seen a lot of anger um, for just why it's happening. Um, so we can express the hurt, or what we also see a lot of times is to deny um, and kind of just numb that hurt, and so that looks like, um, we were fascinated when we saw this article, it was a very secular article, but looking at social media, and this woman was doing this study and she says, Working with my Connecting Wisely curriculum, I challenge students to come up with some strategies for this scenario. So you're looking at your phone and you see Instagram pictures of your friends or acquaintances hanging out with you or, or at their, they're at a party that you weren't invited to. So what do you do? And they kind of reacted with these responses. They said, you know, just watch Netflix or maybe eat some ice cream. Um, just don't watch, put away your phone, which I mean, could be some good advice. <laughs> um, call someone else to come over or exercise, hang out with your family. So all of these are responses of, you know, it just doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really hurt. Like, whatever, I don't, I don't really mind. I mean, it's fine. Um, when in reality, there probably is some hurt going on there, but they're, they're, the way they express that can sometimes be just numb it. Just say, I'm, I'm going to pretend it doesn't hurt. I'm going to distract myself with something else. Um, but both responses are neither one really gospel responses. If we're feeling overwhelmed, like overwhelmed with our unworthiness or rejection, or if we're just, um, that can lead us to dependence on others, or if we are denying the hurt, that can make us very independent and we just depend on ourselves or, or Netflix to make us feel better. So when we look at what is the kind of the gospel response, um, instead of wallowing in that pain or letting that lead us to depend on someone else or even to numb it that leads us to independence, When our kids feel unworthy, or we feel unworthy, we try to help them look through like the filter, through this lens of the gospel, and see that like there's actually good news in the sense that Christ died for the rejected. He died for the unworthy, Um, and so we remind them of that. We remind ourselves of that. Um, We love Romans 5, 6 through 8. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, so we just see that in that sense, like, Christ died for those that are unworthy, but also those who feel unworthy, those who feel rejected. Um, one of the, my sweet girl that I've been telling this story about actually came to Birmingham um, this weekend. And so last night we were sitting there, and I'd asked if I could share the story. And she was like, or a story about her, and she goes, Which one are you going to share? And I was like, um, I was like, Well, and I was like, It's kind of a painful one. And she's like, I already knew which one. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah. And she's grown so close to the Lord in college. And she now, um, one of her friends was at my house, and she has this really solid group of friends who just love the Lord. And we were kind of talking through some of this, and I was like, I was telling her this was kind of my first idea of what it looked like as a parent to hurt for her and not be able to fix it. And she looked at me, and this last little point on how suffering kind of draws us closer to God and dependence, she was like, but Mary Beth, had that not happened, she's like, I would have never really got to know you. She's like, I would have been very dependent on that friend group and I never would have spent the time with you and now I think she sees the way that even that that hurt and that suffering I mean she had to lean on the Lord through that time she was so drawn to him because she really had nothing else um so just a sweet sweet response there it was kind of cool to see. all
0: right so uh, still looking at heart level what's going on um besides valuing our relationship with the world and our connections there, which I left out one point that I remembered, it's very hard, for example, as a young adult to think, you know, it's it's worth more that I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ than that I'm family friends with the former president of the sorority of fraternity I want to join at, you know, fill in the blank school. All those things seem overwhelming and from the world's perspective, that is the most important thing, right? Your social connections is what gets you everything. What are the stats for finding a job? But, um, so that temptation for students and even for us to, to value social connections above our relationship with the Lord. But now just diving in deeper into what does the good news of Jesus's death on the cross for us, um, do for us. And, So this is a quick list. Each one of these could be a lesson uh, in and of itself. So I don't know if we got any volunteers to just take these the next few weeks and go through. Just kidding. But um, so resting in the fact that our identity is, in fact, in Christ. So the first point being that he calls us beloved and that he actually calls us friend as well, that Jesus is our friend. Jesus, what a friend for sinners is one of my favorite hymns that I love to sing. And um, so we can't I, I can't wrap my mind around that. the concept that God is my friend and actually wants to spend time with me, but how valuable that is. And then the idea of Christ dwelling in us, um unity with Christ, just ask Cameron Cole. You could teach a whole lesson series on that, but um, the idea that Christ himself dwells in us and is always with us, and we even have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our our future glory um, informing our heart and our minds. So literally God dwelling with us. And then also that in God, we are fully known. And I just put all of Psalm 139. um, All of these are great things to just, you could sit with each one of these verses for a while and meditate on it and just kind of marinate in it in the next few weeks. Um, I know Psalm 139 has been really important. There's um, in verse four of psalm 139 it says even before a word is on my tongue behold O lord you know it all together what a comfort he literally does not just know us miraculously but he also knows us better than we could possibly know ourselves um he knows our words before we even speak them so in him we're fully known but also fully loved um and we see that as evidence through jesus and then just a last note to think about valuing other things above god this idea that when we place our value in things that will fail, when they perish, we perish with them. So this is something I try to talk to the junior high kids a lot about. And I, I use a pretty elementary illustration that's probably not that helpful, but here we go. Get excited. Um, I think about Christmas presents and how excited you are to get that. Maybe it's the, um, what do they call them, the swagways. Y'all know the that was like the, the, cho- the thing of choice a couple of years ago. But um, you are so excited about it. And for the first week, you wake up, and what's the first thing you want to do? Run out and get on the swagway. And that's so exciting. Uh, But maybe like two months later, and I'll ask them, I'll be like, How do you feel about your swagway in two months? And they're like, Forgot about it. It's gone. It's faded away. But that's something that maybe not that exact example, but a Christmas gift, something that we're looking forward to so much, something that we're saying this is a source of life, this is a source of joy. And in some ways it can tangle into identity. This is what matters about me is that I have this or I'm friends with these people or I'm connected in this way. And then that just peters out and it's suddenly nothing. It's gone. And so this idea that um, we're helping our kids when we help them to place their identity in God as opposed to other things, because when these things fade, their whole identity is rocked and shaken, whereas our identity in Christ cannot be touched or damaged. Okay, and then, so, looking at our identity with Christ, and then also the idea that we are always in with God. Because of Jesus, we are, we may be excluded in this, this world, but we can't shake our inclusion with God. So, a million verses we could look at, but I just wanted to look at um, Romans chapter 8, just just so beautiful, quickly. I'm not going to read all these verses, but just a few. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what security looks like. That's something to write home about and hang your hat on um that is truly love that is beyond anything that we can imagine and will never be taken away from us clearly and um lastly the promise that god is always with us and will never forsake us so this verse from um Deuteronomy chapter 31 be strong and courageous do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the lord your god who goes with you he will not leave or forsake you so just remembering that at a heart level when we're being crushed by exclusion god is always with us and um, nothing can separate us from his love.
1: And so we're looking to, at like this conclusion, as far as true fulfillment is found in Jesus. Um, back to a little bit what Katie was talking about, about how we search for approval. We're going to talk about whose approval are we seeking? Um, we do that as well. I mean, as adults, we seek approval in our jobs or in, um, other people, our parents, our children, Um, But with kids, we see them, there's kind of these four buckets that sometimes we see, all of us, but the way that they put their identity in other things, one would be like self. So even on a social media platform, there's this selfie culture. I mean, they're constantly taking pictures of themselves, constantly posting what they're doing. Um, Every moment's documented. And so they're seeking for approval or their identity in themselves um, or in others. So we see that we possibly seek approval and identity in others and so that looks for like how many likes I get on my picture or you know how many people are at my birthday party how many people invited me how many people like me Um, or even the world so she talked about the christmas presents our possessions our worldly things Um, or even religion sometimes like as the kids get older or start to develop their faith the lord or even I can be so guilty of this of thinking like my quiet time or my time spent with the lord needs to be a checklist or needs to be some way that I like secure myself or ground myself when all those things are great but if i'm treating that as you know means to an end then usually we get it backwards a little bit um so we're looking at the fact that true fulfillment is found in christ so he's the only god's approval is the only one that we need um and it's really the only thing that matters for us in this life um we love second peter one three through four we talks about his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the, divine mature, of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. So when it feels like like with our kids, when that world's kind of creeping in of I'm excluded and that's all we can focus on, we're reminded that like where our hope and where our joy and where our life is found is in Christ. And anything outside of that usually is like sinking sand or shipping sand.
0: All right. So now we're going to move into, sorry, what now? Um, so hopefully this is the part that won't be scary. We'll find out. Um, so these are just some suggestions that we thought of. Uh, obviously won't work for every family. And I don't know everyone's specific situation. Just suggestions and a word of encouragement before I even go there. Um, It's remarkable how much of a difference just one little thing can do, and it's just talking with your kids. And so a lot of these suggestions involve putting the phone away so that you can be involved in conversation. It's amazing when students you know, will put down the phone and look you in the eye and have a conversation and engage with you, and how much of a huge difference that makes if you're doing that at home, in the car, at the dinner table, just that one little thing, talking, huge, which is so simple. So that's the encouraging thing, like easy thing to focus on. Um, But so some great things that we've seen, even folks here at Advent, uh, phone-free areas or times. So in the car, saying no one's going to be on phones in the car. Certainly you can't be as a driver, but um, asking your kids to put that away too, and just talking about their day or talking about, whatever i don't don't know um and engaging in conversation or at the dinner table of course and then we've also heard of people who ask their kids to plug in their phone in the kitchen after 10 p.m to charge overnight and just leave it in that room so there's not even a possibility that they'll be on their phones at 2 a.m you know texting or whatever else um and i know again this could start world war three and so just a suggestion but good ideas that we've seen work for other people um and then I always ask the junior high kids if they're doing anything for Lints And I don't know, maybe this doesn't surprise you, but almost everyone does. They all have an idea of what they want to give up. And a lot of them, at least for girls, revolve around fitness and nutrition, surprisingly. Um, and so just a thought, maybe encourage them. Instead of giving up chocolate or caffeine or trying to do this, massive workout routine even though you're probably already running a lot for track and just really doing fine on the metabolism scale. Um consider encouraging them to give up social media for lunch. And maybe that's something you could do as a whole family. Um I'm con- I'm going to pray about it some more because it's kind of terrifying, but maybe myself do that for for um, for lunch and encouraging them to talk to the Lord in those spaces because we really do look look to it as a comforter in that time where there's an awkward space or we're feeling awkward or we don't know what to do or we're bored um, and taking that time to the Lord and just how encouraging that would be I've heard people who have done this but I never feel better after scrolling through Instagram do y'all <laughs> it doesn't really help to see what my high school you know friends are doing today. And um, it's such a false image, too, that Palmer talked about last week. Um, And so that could be a really wholesome thing to do. And then a last word, and I almost even hesitate because um, it's all situational and it requires wisdom, which is just praying through. But I was thinking about um, we've had a lot of questions in different classes like this that we've done they are very specific to different situations. And my thought is that what, think about what's your motivation when your kid's asking for something and if your main motivation, so for example, to keep their, uh, their phone in a certain situation, when you're saying, why don't you give me your phone and, and give it, give it up for now. Um, just as, as an example and think about, what's my motivation? And if your main motivation for giving your kid what they want is so that they won't feel excluded, maybe that's not the best reason to give in. And now if there's other factors going on and, you know, safety or whatever else, I can't even think of it. But if your main motivation is so that they won't feel excluded, consider maybe that might not be the best motivation to give in because that exclusion is going to be Um, Well, the inclusion that they would feel if you do give them this thing is going to be temporary and partial at best. And again, if they place their hope in that, um, then it will fail them. And so just hoping that there's something else behind the motivation as opposed to just, oh, they're feeling excluded, even though that's hard.
1: I feel like we've covered a lot and it's kind of like so what happens when they still hurt we know we have the answer of like the gospel in jesus but sometimes it feels like just saying you know jesus is all you need is not quite enough um so we know that they're still going to hurt um and i think so the answer to that is we listen we care um we we empathize we show but then we also point them to jesus um we rest ourselves in who we are in christ and so we rest that we are covered by christ's blood but also they are too and we trust that He loves them so much more than we do. Um, We have to remind ourselves that a lot. We get, um, I think, caught up and we forget that Jesus loves these students and loves your kids so much more than we could even love them. Um, And we trust that He's in control, but also, um, with my sweet girl saying that, that that suffering, we trust that that suffering and those hurts, He sometimes uses that to draw them closer to Himself. And so when there's those rough moments or those rough stages, just trusting that He's using that and He's working in those situations. And then once again, we just rest in our identity as God's beloved
0: child. Do y'all have any questions? I kind of ran out of time. Sorry, we made this promise, but yeah. questions? I know a lot uh, more about this than I do, but do y'all uh, have a recommendation maybe of when, when is a child age-appropriate for a smartphone? Okay, so the question, I was told to repeat this for the recording. You're welcome, everyone. Um, what What would be an age-appropriate time to get a phone for a child?
1: My mom's rule was always, you'll have a phone when I need you to have one. So like, if I like if I, I didn't need one, or she was able to ha- like get in touch with me without me being there, then that was my determination. So it was seventh grade for me, um, and I think my brother was seventh grade as well. But I think it's so situational based and so hard. Um, and kind of back to Katie's, you know, motivation—is it something that they're at the place where they need, um, or is it? A lot of times, I even know it's school. Like, there's so many like emails and things that they need—they need those devices. Um, but you know, is the motivation so that they're not the only kid without a phone. Jay Cunningham, my father, I can tell you could care less if I was the only person without a phone. His reason was always, like, it's because I love you, and I didn't understand that at the time, and now he's like, I promise I actually care about you, and so that's why these rules are in place or these disciplines are in place. And I don't answer for an actual age. I was seventh grade, but it was when when they thought I needed one.
0: That's really hard. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Other questions? Thoughts? Disagreements?
1: you turn the recording off for that one. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So the question was, is there a difference between the genders, between girls and guys, and how may they be more susceptible? That's a great question. We talked about that a little bit in preparing and realized, oh, we're only thinking about girls because we work with girls all the time and... I do think it looks very different for guys. Um, a lot of this stuff can be the same comparison, but obviously for girls, or even comparison in the area of body image, but for girls, that area of body image and appearance is so much more profound and um, just something they're more susceptible to. Um, with guys, I've noticed it's different as far as probably the
1: age, but with girls, you see this comparison of, like, she's skinnier, she's prettier, she has more. And with the guys, what I tend to notice is that... A lot of the comparison that way is, oh, he has that boat, or oh, he has that truck. or So the social media, that aspect, may not necessarily be exclusion, because sometimes guys can shake that off a little better, but it's a seeing what they don't have and having this image of this is what I need to have. That helps. Right.
0: Any other questions? If not, I'm going to close this in prayer so we can get to where we need to go. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time, and uh, just pray again that you would use this. This time that we had together to remind us of our identity in you and that we would value you above all else. And we pray that over our students, Lord, all the kids that are represented in this room. We just pray that they would find their all in you um, and that that would be of overwhelming worth and value to them. And so we thank you and praise you for your great love for us and for your presence with us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.